0: Do a little fade in, fade out.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll just do something like that. Um. Oh, yeah, can't change too much real look. Hello and welcome to Slash Duke, the mysterious movie pitching podcast with a twist. An episode today for you focuses on black and white films. So, in typical fashion, we've decided that an episode on black and white movies requires us to broadcast to you in black and white um so those of you listening on the podcast you can rewatch this episode on youtube um if you are already listening to the podcast snap the bell button smash the like button punch the subscribe button what do you have to do it's just absolutely everything you can like follow subscribe and share and we would very much appreciate it
0: it's just the brothers it's just the brothers today on the special We've just got the two of us rolling in.
1: And it's a privilege if you watch it on the YouTube channel uh, at Slashdupe because you're able to see what we have tried to cobble together as, uh, yep. t- you know, sort of 40s, 50s appropriate attire. Um, I have a, um, a time appropriate mug,
0: which is probably, uh, probably that old as well. I mean, That's legitimately,
1: we got it from our nan's house. God knows where she got it from. Um,
0: Not a sponsor, by the way.
1: It could be. Other okay. uh, chocolatiers are available. Um <laughs> we've uh, Ryan was talking about maybe looking a bit too Western, but uh, you know, Treasure of Sierra yeah. Madre, there are other sorts of there there's a whole wealth of of um of fantastic black.
0: Wearing and black wearing a, a waistcoat of our grandfathers, most paisley waistcoat of our grandfathers you know that it doesn't, doesn't I, fit me.
1: I, so. <laughs> but you can't <laughs> see below the waist. That's actually <laughs> Um, and I'm, funnily enough, I'm wearing granddad's cap. So we've got, we've got that sort of connection from the era of those that, that, that began their journey of cinema in the realm of black and white. Mm. Um, so, so, yeah, uh, we, we want to bring to you uh, something that we've been thinking about for a while. Uh, the idea of black and white films has been uh, very critical and important to Slashduke, but I, uh, some of you out there may know why and some of you may not. Um, black and white movies are special to us because um, George Miller of Mad Max fame, while finishing the fourth part of the series Fury Road, he remarked on how much he loved the stark black and white look of the of the slash dupe. Um, and he said in response to the black and chrome edition of Mad Max Fury Road, he said uh, the following: "It's the first time we've got a quote. I quite I yeah. quite enjoy this. Let's. I'm feeling very sort of um, newsreadery. readery. <laughs> um, I'm not going to do his voice." Um, but I could, uh, he said, <laughs> uh, uh, in uh, response to the black and chrome edition, he said, uh, but that all started way back in the old days when I saw the road warrior in the recording studio, when composers used a slash deep rough, a black and white cheap version of the ungraded film. So they could mark it up with chalk with the orchestra and the conductor. I remember watching it and thinking road warrior is much better as grainy black and white footage. It's somehow more distilled. I always thought, wouldn't it be great to do a Mad Max film in black and white? So our name, The Essence of Slash mm. team, comes from the very um, product uh, that is used um, in, in film production, and that is um, often in black and white. So we will have three parts to this special episode, um, uh, and each time, actually, we, we start you know, in modern times and each stage we go backwards. Yeah. Uh, we will start by discussing modern black and white films. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm Sean, your fearless moderator. Yeah. And I'm joined, as always, by my co host, cohort, Ryan. Um, oh. Ryan, why don't, you, why don't you start us off um, talking about black and white movies
0: for us? So I think the first modern black and white movie I saw. Uh, was what want to watch with you and that was The Mist was the first one that I saw black and white film Um, and I remember you know you you bought a special blu-ray version of it or dvd version of it I think way back when Um, and I'd never seen the film before so the only iteration I've ever seen of The Mist is it in black and white Mm -hmm. uh, which made it interesting because it was that quite claustrophobic Sort of only stuck, stuck in the one location for a majority of the time in the in the supermarket or uh, yeah, I guess they still call it supermarkets in America, but the massive convenience store, I guess. Um, and that was and that was quite interesting. It was the first sort of. It's quite rare that you would in, you know since color do people try and push that? And I think the other the next one that we saw that well, um, oh,
1: just just quickly. Yes, you're right. So that I think that was my first modern foray into. Into modern uh, black and white films. Into, modern into a black film and white. that was in colour that had a black and white version yes, created because, by the director. Yes,
0: because um, Clerks, famously in black and white, yeah. but yeah. was done for that for the, that reason. Like it wasn't, as you said, like it wasn't one that was in colour and then changed to black and white afterwards. Yes,
1: yeah. So when you look at um, something like The Mist, it was Frank Darabont's preferred version. Yeah. Um, he, because obviously he was sort of, um, and we'll get to this later on, he was sort of... Um, Really building on a love of those sort of maybe even nineteen thirties, forties sort of black and white um, horror films.
0: Yeah, your um, Harry, Harry, Harry Hausens, um,
1: <laughs> the Ray Harry Housens and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like that sort yeah, of yeah with the stop movie and, and like absolutely sort of like King Kong the monster because like yeah. you only really yeah. see
0: the monsters like that one time they come in and grab a guy's legs, don't you? And even then it looks it looks quite janky anyway. Um, and I think that is that's made sort of more retro and more classic by yeah. it being in black and white
1: yeah i think so and we'll get to that later when we get to uh something i would i never thought i'd say in that zach snyder's entry into the into the black and white mm-hmm. film canon we will get to exactly that um, so yeah if if that was um, if that was undoubtedly an intentional thing to look backwards clerks and other sorts of films like that which is a good thing to get onto now they were black and white for other reasons. So clerks was black and white because it was cheaper to get black yeah. and white film stock. So Kevin Smith, who's, you know, a leader of uh, one of the heads of the podcast revolution and, you know, um, a, a legend in the sort of indie film world, um, his first feature he made you know off his own credit cards and he did it with, uh, with uh, the only film stock he could afford. Yeah. Um, and I, I imagine that, like, so then you also move into... I mean, it worked for Clerks a lot, actually. Yeah. And when you look at some of his other films, you sort of, I think he's got a good eye for, well, he's got a good ear for dialogue and, and a yeah. good mind for characters and worlds, but but the cinematography is not the strongest part of his some of his later films. So actually, yeah. I think it really worked. Um, when you look at something like Pie as well, we were talking about this earlier on, weren't we? Mm. we were talking about Darren Aronofsky's Pie, another feature probably also due to film stock prices yeah. for white film but felt very much like it fitted the aesthetic of the film, fitted the plot. So it's very yeah. much like, if you like, about numbers, about binary, about uh, newspapers and printings, it has a huge sort of part of the movie. And, and and I don't know, just the way you sort of imagine pie scrawled on something in chalk or in paint, It sort of, yeah. I, I think it really works. Um, yeah, and there's, there's plenty of those sort of indie films that um, I think start to then move out of uh, it being budgetary and start to become more stylistic. So you've got Lehane. um, You've got uh, things like uh, The Good German. That's a really interesting one, The Good German, because that's a Soderbergh film, um, and he used the old lenses that they used and the old cameras that they used on Casablanca. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, there's lots of different... Reasons. I mean, that felt like he was trying to capture something, which yeah. m- we'll maybe get to later on. Um, which maybe similarly, Edward did with um, the Tim Burton film um, and the artist. So both films yeah. about filmmaking, uh, both films about filmmaking in black and white. So I sort of like, you know, I like that interplay, and it's you know, there's a there's a place for there was a place back then for larger budgets or that the, the mid budget film, there's a whole different episode to go into about mid budget films, yeah, um, which has now really died out, but where you could release it in the cinema in black and white as a primary version, um, which Frank Darabont, I don't think was allowed to do at the mist,
0: right. He had to sort of push. He had to do it in color. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And he had to push for a sort of home video release. Um, I love the term home video and I'm going to use it. I know that it's old school, you know, it's like, Oh, Put on a record or whatever. But I like home video. I like that it encompasses everything. There's no way that I want to keep having this
0: thing. To be fair, like when, people like, people love you know, people the old love videos Blu-ray, you know, whatever. People love um people love old cameras, old like 35 mil dumps everyone puts out, don't they, where they get their old film cameras. Uh people love records, you know, the next thing is going to be like those camcorders that record directly to a video. You know, that yeah, be the next your thing, it. max out and you're yeah vhs8 that, or whatever it was called that'd be, the, yeah. that'd be the next thing that will come around like people going around making recordings with those specifically yeah, yeah maybe yeah. we should go into business in that nobody nobody steal this idea all right <laughs> nobody steal this idea
1: but yeah so um plenty of people and we're happy f- i'd love it if the comments sort of lit up with people who are like this was my foray into black and white films whether it was mm. a classic film which we'll get into or whether it was a more modern film that sort of you know o- opened you up to it um so more most recently you'll look towards um well I, I suppose that as filmmaking was was evolving, you had things like Pleasantville, you had the Coen brothers, the man who wasn't there, yeah. um, you had control, uh, the biopic. So these films, you know, some were stylistic, some were sort of very much it felt like it needed to be in black and white.
0: Um and I think as well, like everyone who's watching at home um and watching on YouTube, you know, you can see that we're in black and white. And it's made easy because, you know, on Zoom, we just chuck a filter on. But you have to think as well, if you want to be able to film something in black and white, you need to make sure everything's coloured and lit correctly because it's not just as easy as chucking a filter over it. You know, it's every cell cells and uh, frames have to be lovingly recreated so that certain areas are more lit and other ones are are darker and, you know, you're not just chucking a a grain over it.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And... That's the process, for example, that we saw most recently for Mank. So that was like a big like Oscar hit because it's about Hollywood and Hollywood loves itself and like mm. the films about Hollywood. You know, they, they, they make they make Oscars. Um Roma, Roma and Mank, so Mank specifically. I think Roma I would imagine was likely shot for black and white as well. Yeah. Um, so when you when you shoot films for black and white, you have to change the colours. I mean, if you look at um some fans out there will already know things like um, Psycho, Hitchcock's Psycho, which, by the way, was in 1960-odd. So even then was a throwback. So even then it was using black and white film in a time when mm. they would have used colour film, which I think is quite fascinating in itself. We think of Psycho as being quite an old film, a classic film, but actually it was quite modern with a retro aesthetic, yeah. which is, which is fascinating, fascinating. Hitchcock was way ahead of his time even then, um, even doing something that feels very classic. Um, so that was when they got the blood, they had to do it. I think it was brown. There's, there's lots of trivia online, but they had to change the colour of it so that it appeared like blood on, the, uh, on black and white film. So, yeah, with things like Roma, with things like Mank, Mank has a good little behind the scenes about the colours that they had to put on people's faces and stuff to, to make it pop. Um, but as we move into films that have... So they're, they're on streaming services like Netflix, yeah. of course, so they're allowed to be like that. You know, and there's a niche for things like that. And so, this is we're at a fascinating nexus. I don't know where it's going to go. But if you look at something like um, uh, Parasite, for example, black and white version of Parasite, um, they, uh, Bong Joon Home, the director, uh, mentions that he had to go back in and recolor it. So, there's scenes with like mud and water. And so, uh, doing a black and white version of that film wasn't quite as as simple as you might have assumed you can't just whack a filter on it even then yeah. um when he did his version um uh, of parasites which you know set the world by storm by being the first foreign film to win a, a best picture oscar i believe mm-hmm. um and even that came on the coattails of of what we'll talk about uh the mist but also mad max Bl- black and chrome *Logan noir yeah so uh,
0: a whole host of uh so those two we actually saw, we saw in the cinema. Um, I think both were, you know, I, they didn't get the widespread release that the normal colour version did. Um, we, you know, we went to, I think, either a, uh, not a specialist cinema, we went to Prince, Prince Charles, Charles for one to, of them. Yeah. And then the other one was like, I think we went to an Odin in the middle of bumfuck nowhere in London to, to see the um, Blood and Chrome. Not black and chrome. Black and chrome. Black and chrome. Um, and and you know, it was it was quite like a a specific release to go and see it. Um which is which is interesting because you know, you have to weigh up the commercialization, you know, for throwback to the um adjudicator episode with Tom, you know, you have to think about the commercialization and and what are you going to what will it take to make this into black and white? I don't know how many aside from films that are specifically made to be in black and white mm. how much of that comes out of the director's pocket or a producer's pocket or you know to be able to spend that time to release something additionally in the in the release mm. pipeline do you know even i'm it. not
1: too savvy on on home video mm. and and but you know director's cuts director's versions they're quite popular so i one yeah. would assume that it costs you know less to make than it would be for people to sort of find it in the home video market Mm. so the four that we'll focus on now before we move on to the the next part um yeah are the sort of main four recent ones um that i would think of so i parked the mist because i was never able to see that in the cinema yeah um but yeah i mean the i think it was black and chrome we saw first wasn't it yeah um i came out before logan (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then even the black and white version. So I think that's quite a, I found it quite, I actually found it more enjoyable, weirdly, because I, th- I believe I saw Mad Max Fury Road in the IMAX, which obviously was incredible, but mm. I found it, like, bizarrely, you know, and I suppose in a good way, like, quite overwhelming. Yeah. Right? It's quite a big film. It's quite a, it's quite a shock how sort of simple it is and how much of a, ju- you know, sort of it's just mm. a journey.
0: Um, I loved it. Obviously, acting chops is what it takes to have a good black and white film, because you're not re- your your focus is drawn. Your focus is genuinely drawn um, to the people who are acting. You know, to the close ups. To you know, you're not um, dazzled by all of the color. Um, yeah, and, and everything yeah. that's going on. You know, so uh, you know that's why we put so much stock in in actors back in the day, um, well, because they picking- had to hold
1: it. You pick, Absolutely. And something like Black and Chrome is really bizarre, because you wouldn't expect a film like that to work in black and white, because it, it doesn't feel very character focused when you first watch it. Mm. Um, Fury Road. When we saw the Black and Chrome one, it f- really feels like Furiosa's movie. You sort of feel that connection. So you do yeah. have those close-ups in the cab, and then when you, when you see the broad vistas of all of the machines and the metal, you're able to sort of pick out gleaming sort of details and and everything feels sort of 3d in a way that you wouldn't think black and white would actually do so i felt like when i watched it in black and white in cinema i i thought it was really like hypnotic so whereas free road in the imax is quite brash which again you can argue it is you know it's a brash film in a good way i thought it was quite hypnotic the black and white uh, the black and chrome version i yeah i was just in in awe of it almost and that mm-hmm. for me is like not only the beginnings of slash dupe but like also the big you know beginnings of thinking about it in that way and hearing george miller talk about it but the beginnings of like a real love of like okay let's let's dig into modern black and white films
0: so what are the other three in that list then obviously we said so, logan
1: yeah so we um so we saw logan that one we saw at the prince charles didn't we so we saw logan noir now i i think was it you or or was it dk i can't remember it was all of our friends back home i bought we both went to buy the black and white noir versions of the marvel properties and i thought do you know what i want to get more into spider-man so i bought spider-man noir which was great because when i saw his character in um into the spider-verse i had a sort of connection with that Mm -hmm. um and so if it wasn't you, then he was, was right. DK. So he bought Logan Noir, mm. um, and that was quite a cool little. You know, it's only a little Elseworld, um, and I'm sure. And I'm sure the film. Uh, I've got some quotes from Mangold here. I've got a quote from him about it. Um, the director James Mangold. Um, so I'm sure it wasn't. It didn't come from the comics, but it was nice to sort of feel that connection. You know, they sort mm. of called it Logan Noir. They could have called it something else. Um, it was nice to sort of see the comic and the, yeah. and the film sort of come to life in the same way. Um, we'll get to what you thought of it um, in a minute. Um, but I'll just pick out um, a quote from uh, James Mangold here. Um, he says, one of the biggest reasons to do a black and white version is because I think there's something changing out there. People are looking for things that connect to the past, things that look different, things that are new, but also old again. I think for a long time, studios have had an assumption that you guys need bright colours all the time to stay amused and loud sounds to stay enthused. And I don't <laughs> think that's true. I think audiences are getting more sophisticated and more interested in seeing creativity explored all sorts of different ways. Even if just for one night, seeing this movie this way helps people see that there's audiences out there for a monochrome movie, for a different kind of movie, in other way, in another way, that's pretty great. So, yeah, I kind of like, you know, he said, uh, I mean, it sounds a little bit slash stupid when he says what is basically mm. like sensible and nonsense <laughs> when people want something that's new and old. Yeah. Um, but you get it, don't you? You kind of get it, especially with a film that was referenced when they were making it to be similar to Unforgiven, which, it's, uh, which was a Clint Eastwood Western, which in itself was referenced to be like an old classic Yeah.
0: Uh, Western. I mean, we haven't even touched on black and white Westerns, and I don't think we need to. Yeah. But-
1: yeah. Primarily
0: because I don't have
1: much knowledge in the area of black and white westerns. but then our, our grand you
0: know our grandfather would watch all the westerns didn't he like and now yeah. we, we go to our nan's she flicks one on and she goes oh this is that with this one on it because he loved them um, but any but yeah that's yeah. An- another piece there but that's that's interesting so I I found that that Logan Noir I think for me it was I think I'd watched it like twice recently before mm-hmm. we saw it yeah yeah i remember you had, and so i was a bit like oh not again um i but i could see and it was interesting because it's all the snickting all the snickety snicting that he does um it's interesting how that comes out in black and white you know it feels mm. like a like an anime sort of which is yeah, interesting yeah and sort of and then there was a lot you know there's a lot of like amazing scenes like his the place he lives at with um in the radar dish tower, with uh, like the the shards of like light, like yeah, country. and everything like yeah, that. Then incredible. it looked, then it made it quite interesting. It sort of then that felt like a bit of a western, and then when they went to uh, the farm area, you know, it feels like a bit of a creepy horror movie because they're in like yeah um, that. So it it was interesting yeah. that it I felt like it it brought the film across many different sort of genres, yeah. and yeah, made it sort of feel like it was a it was a different film. Each time, and I think that's the interesting thing. I would say it, I, it had less of an impact on me than Blood and Chrome, Black and Chrome did. I'm going to keep getting that wrong. Hey, um, you're just
1: trying to plug Blood and Song Monday yeah, night, eight PM on the Blood and Song <laughs> Twitch channel where we do a live play of Dungeons and
0: Dragons. Yeah, <laughs> <Very> um, <true. laughs> um, side hustles, side hustle of the side hustle, and yeah. So I, I've, I, you know, I found it was less impactful for me, but it's still. Eve like little things, and only this is a spoiler, but when she like puts the cross sideways to form the X, mm. and then that looks like a proper old Western, doesn't it? Yeah. Like that sort of with the cause his grave is just made out of rocks and stuff like that. So yeah, it was it was it was interesting. But I think you you preferred it, didn't you? Yeah, well, it like you
1: said, it felt like a completely new movie. Mm. So even though I had also watched it recently. Um, it really did feel like I was watching something completely new. And I think it was the, you know, like the image of the thing, you know, like the cover of the thing, yeah. the iconic thing with the light coming out of him. I have that image of Logan now, like with just light shooting out from behind him, and just mm. cause because I think that they really put I mean, cinematography is superb, but like it had a real attention to detail on light shafts and, and light diffusion and, and stuff like that. It was a very 3D image anyway, and then black and white just pulled that out. And it's interesting what you say about the, uh, the, the horror thing, because when he meets himself, you know, spoilers, yeah. it's not really quite that, so hopefully we're not spoiling anything for anyone, but, but that's quite a horrific sequence, and it feels quite sort of... Um, uh yeah quite shocking quite like an old horror film yeah um and then so and even all the modern stuff because it's like a post-apocalyptic film it feels very sort of very retro so i Mm. think it was like couldn't have been better i mean if they'd done it for a i shudder to even say the name of it but x-men origins wolverine if they'd done it for that it would have been completely meaningless right it wouldn't have added anything it wouldn't have felt like another dimension was added so i think that alone is you know, and it makes it special.
0: interesting you said about the comic books because obviously Logan comes the comic book Old Man Logan, which is yeah sort of slightly different. Um, um, yeah, which is sort of yeah slightly different, but it it's that's what we thought that story was going to be about. Um, and then they called it Noir as well, which sort of re-referenced the comic book as you said, which is which was nice. I think it was a really good yeah. sort of yeah. way to do that.
1: Yeah, it it sort of made the film feel like it was for. I use the term fans in a genuine way, like for fans of the comics of the character, who wanted to see something a little further away from some of the other X-Men stuff that I also love, but just something that sort of sat separate on its own. Um, I've got a final quote from Mangold on it. He says, um, well, I think black and white focuses you on character in a way it reduces the amount of eye candy of color and distraction. But I think what it really is for most of us is a chance to connect the movie with movies of the past. It suddenly feels connected to Western's and noir films. And I wish people would watch that I wish people would watch more of. Yeah. I think it's an exercise for real film fans to just enjoy. So I'm really grateful that there are that there's this sort of free reign given to certain directors who will plumb for it and they'll push for it. Yeah. Um, And it's right, it's interesting what you say about it focusing you more on the character. And I think we'll get to that a bit more later on. the third of the, of the four that we're gonna talk about briefly is Parasite. Um, and I'm just gonna just go into a, a Bong Jun ho quote. He says, uh, cause this actually goes, spins off of what you were saying um, earlier on. he says, you can't just put it in a computer and turn it into black and white. Yeah. Um, and he talks about working with his colorist on it. Uh, we can focus more on the texture, he said, noting the contrast of the very glossy and clean house of the rich family. Uh, He said, um, uh, when he was talking about watching the movie, he said, for the first time, it felt like I was watching an old movie, a story from long ago. But the second time, the movie felt more intense. It felt more cruel. Uh, If you all watch, you will probably all feel differently. So, yeah, it's that thing about having just a completely different experience with the same material. And you Mm. would think like and some films may do this and it may end up just a gimmick. um, And that's what we'll go to very shortly. Um, but the notion of of like light reflection without color is just fascinating. It's fascinating, and so yeah, yeah being able
0: to see well everything we how get taught. like the posh light bounces are. through a prism, turns into color. Right? You know, we that's yeah. what we are taught our entire lives. So to have that stripped away is quite an interesting thing.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, and you sort of you're more interested than in depth, I think, and foreground and background. Mm, Whereas, and
0: textures, as he says. yeah
1: own oh, textures exactly yeah because with with colour that's where you're drawn um and that's fascinating in its own right um but then with black and white yeah you're very much um watching parasite black and white version you can really see the the poorer family they you can sort of see the they you know they have that window that sort of window that's sort of like right because they're in a basement flat yeah essentially um, and you just can really see the world out of their window at, like, sort of foot level. Mm. Um, and then when you, you have the layers of the sort of the garden, the glass, the stairs of the posh house, it's just, it's just fascinating, uh, especially coming from a filmmaker like that, like a Korean filmmaker who really thinks about... Uh, they've got such an amazing... The Korean film has such an amazing...
0: Uh, of, cinematography.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Fascinating. Fantastic cinematography. Really, mm. really great. Um, but they also are really fantastic at um sort of uh volume. That's yeah. the best way I can describe it. So they know how to film a space, you know. They sort of uh, it's just fascinating. Um and and I think like what watching more Korean cinema with the idea of space is really is really interesting.
0: That's what me. your that's what your final degree piece was on. Yes, it? I did Korean it on Oldboy because that was Mm. I think
1: that's the sort of Tarantino of um, of Korean. Well, cinema, it was the first so it, film that you know.
0: introduced me into Korean cinema, yeah, and probably yeah, a lot of people actually.
1: Definitely, and I I, I think that there, we'll have a discussion down the line about definitely about um, about world cinema and particularly mm-hmm. in particular Korean cinema. So, um, so yeah, that's the that's Parasite. The final one I haven't seen. It's on my Skybox in glorious hdr uhd i'm i'm waiting i'm waiting to watch it but because it's quite a feat um i just wasn't able to watch it before this episode uh mm-hmm. so it is uh just zach snyder's justice league colon Justice's gray so that's his um i think that's it isn't it there's no other extra subtitles or titles i, in there, I
0: have i did not realize he released a black and white uh, no, did you not? No, um, right. So, is this is so, a black and white version of his director's cut. Yeah, yeah, that's oh exactly God. what it is.
1: Yeah. So you came over to watch the director's cut. Uh, I did. You know yeah. the, 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 it was, uh, you know, going to be four parts on HBO, and it was it's about four hours long, and then in the end, it's you know, it's one film segregated into chapters, and the internet is alight with Zack Snyder's Justice League, uh, the Zack Snyder cut, and all sorts of stuff, and it's nothing that we need to discuss right now, I don't think, um, but. I'm, I am really looking forward to watching it. So in the next couple of days, I'm going to sit down. I'll tweet out my thoughts, probably, which has never done anyone wrong, has it? You know, no, just tweeting no. out your thoughts on something, especially True. not something about, you know, the film industry where there's a, you know, bunch of rabid fans. <laughs> but um, but I'm looking forward to it. And and you and I, we, we, you know, you came over, we had an old school movie night when we were allowed to um, during the pandemic. And we we, you know um and i absolutely loved watching it i loved the experience of watching it with you and my fiance. i loved i loved it I'm, i i love I the liked... experience of it i'm being mm. i'm trying to be very clear no
0: no, no no and i i, I agree and i love the fact that because we we could be analytical because we didn't care about it right it wasn't like shut up i need you i need to listen to this what's happening right because we've already seen it and we knew it was bad it was so like a beer actually... and popcorn film wasn't it you know yeah
1: it wasn't like, oh, you know, I really need you to pay attention to Amadeus because it's really the most important movie. You could, ever come out. <laughs> you could just sort of think, yeah. well, this is Zack Snyder's world. So let mm-hmm. me see. Finally, the kid gets to play with his toys. Let's see what he does.
0: Yeah. And, and yeah, and we actually could talk about it. Um, you know, we're like, oh, actually, now this scene makes a lot more sense. Or now yeah. that thing makes a lot yeah. more sense. However, Zack Snyder releasing that in black and white sounds like a man jerking his toys off. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's what it sounds like. like well, we all enough. thought
1: that when he wanted it to be four by three aspect ratio, right? Yeah, but we, again, we let that one slide.
0: We let that one slide. We're like, all right, mate, fair enough, you can have that. But now thinking and and calling it justice is grey. Like, I mean, it's just Zack Snyder like... through and through. And to be honest, if you're not in a way, it's like Wes Anderson or
1: someone. It's it's almost like I almost applaud that a man is gone full Zack Snyder do you know what i mean like, like i
0: understand i understand like why you know everything the reason why he released the director's cut and everything that happened in his life and you know and he he felt like he owed it to himself and the fans to release the director's cut um but i think this is now just a step too far like well, let me let me um I'm, up... I'm excited to see what you think when you watch it yeah no definitely and let me bring up a quote uh,
1: from him on it, and let's see if that changes your so mind. So start with or,
0: "I'm the best," or
1: <laughs> no? He's weirdly. Anyway, we could get... Humble, I don't know yeah, what anyway, the person yeah. is like, but what I do know is that I, I'm grateful from an analytical and technical perspective to been able to have seen his cut, right? And yeah. and I think it's fascinating yeah. how the Hollywood machine and producers and people who come on and rewrite and read, uh, you know, redirect, um, and then how that's all partitioned in terms of. Guild sort of credits and other yeah. things. I find it really fascinating. So, as an exercise, and um, I'm really glad it exists. And I'd much rather have Zack Snyder's 100% of something, frankly, than his 20% of something, you know, which yeah, is what Justice is. So, um, yeah, but I don't know what it will be like in black and white. Um, I, I, this is uh, the quote I could find uh, on him talking about it. So he said, For me, the movie has lived. When I left the movie, I kept it on my laptop and I turned it black and white in some sort of cathartic and sort of visual, I don't know, protest, or whether it was some kind of way of dealing with this whole thing. So that's what he said. Um, But I had it, he continues. I turned it black and white. And so for me, the movie lived in black and white for two years and still does, because one of the caveats when I said I would finish the movie was like, I also want to finish a black and white version of the movie. So that's fine. I mean the studios will go, yeah, whatever. You know, once he's done a his cut of the version, all the money would have gone into it. Making it black and white's probably not going to be too complicated after that. Yeah. Right.
0: Whatever. Um, it's COVID so times. You do what you want, <laughs> yeah, Snyder. Right? They'll say
1: yes to Snyder, definitely, um, for the black and white version. But it's interesting that that I find that fascinating and I, I find that sort of um I, I I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. So he would have done it as almost like a protest. He would have turned it into black and white. I, I don't know. I don't know what that means. And for him, he sort of. For two years, it lived in black and white on his laptop. I, I, that's fascinating.
0: Um, so I find that I don't know. It seems very Snyder to do that. Right. And, and I cannot wait to hear what your are view is on it afterwards yeah. whether it does make it better whether it makes it worse
1: well the one of the, the one thing i imagine before i watch it primarily is that I'm, he, a lot of his designs are quite old school and quite clunky so like i know they sort of try and look modern but they sort of in doing so they look like action figures so they actually look quite sort of bulky like big suits that you could only mm. get on people Uh, When you had to use physical stuff, you couldn't just CGI stuff. So I'm quite interested in seeing like the parademon stuff. I'm interested, I will get to this, I think, very, very shortly when we move on um, into like the 40s and 50s retro sci fi. So I think that it will look a bit like an old Penny Dreadful. It will look like maybe like an old comic strip in black and white. And some of the design and chunkiness, you know, where you could only draw it chunky might actually work. So I'm, I'm, I'm positive. It can't be worse, right? So it's at true. least it's, you know, I'm excited about a new version of it, which I suppose is the least you can ask for with one of these, is that yeah. if it doesn't have a reason like Logan Noir in its history um, or Parasite in its influences uh, mm. um, or, or, you know, sort of Fury Road in, in, in sort of, um, in an influences. idea that the director had when he was making, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, then at least an alternate version, hopefully, will be will be interesting uh, in some way. So just to, just before we move on, um, I'm just going to cap it off with George Miller's second quote on the slash dupe. He says, "Way back when the score for Mad Max Two was being recorded, the orchestra would play to a high contrast black and white slash dupe. This was a sacrificial print." And a lot cheaper than a coloured version, I was struck by how much more iconic the images felt, more elemental, abstract, and authentic. Ever since I wanted to see a Mad Max movie in black and white. So, in the second part of the black and white special of Slash Dupe, we reflect on modern movies that could have been or should have been in black and white. Mm. So I've been, uh, and then we'll settle on our favorites as well, though, yeah. uh, or our favorite at the end. But I've been fascinated about this for a while. And there's, as we were talking about earlier on, it's not just, you can't just turn the contrast down or do what we've done today and just put a black and white yeah. filter on or, or do it in post. Um, there is an element of that that well, you can do it, but something intentional is what we've been talking about, you know, for the last segment. Um, and that intentionality sometimes I wish was there. So yep. there's so many films I think would, a, a sort of authentic black and white version would yeah. Yeah, be really sort of powerful. Some of the things I think of, and I think they're easy ones to go to, so I'd like to move away from them if we can. But sort of if you think of like maybe early James Gunn films like Slither, or I think there was a, a Timothy Oliphant. Did a version of the Crazies, a modern version of the Crazies. Hmm. Um, Films like It Follows, films like The Descent, Neil Marshall's The Descent, possibly even Dog Soldiers. I mean, it's you know, yeah. So, sort of old school horror films, even though they're modern, they would. I think they would, with a black and white wash, they'd look amazing.
0: So, one of the films that I thought would be interesting to have a black to be in black and white, but I'm not sure how we'd do it. Would be Hugo. Because yeah. I think it, because it pays yeah. homage to, I can't remember the name of the filmmaker, George. Um, yeah, George Millier. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 Millier, I made yeah. some
1: notes and then I just, I lost them in the wash. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah. The the the, the films of George Millier. Yeah.
0: But I think that that'd be interesting because, you know, that they, they do show those bits in black and white when he, when with the films that he made. But so I, I guess that would be the only thing that wouldn't work because the, the joy in that is seeing all the, like the fantastic color and then seeing the black and white and, and how he made those films. Do
1: you know what you might do you might you might colorize that. I don't know if it's blasphemy. Like the other way maybe, around. Yeah, like, uh... yeah, exactly. But Hugo would be, would
0: be cool. an interesting one definitely with all the, yeah. the clockwork and everything like that it would be really beautiful to sort of see. Also the novel
1: the I've got I've got the novel it's a, it's a it's a tome. Well, Mm -hmm. I guess it's like a kid's book, so it's got lots of sort of big font and stuff. But Mm. um, yeah, there's lots of sketches in black and white. And I think he has a book in in the film and in the book, doesn't he, where he sketches some of his designs. So yeah, yeah, I think that's a good shout. I think think that would um, sort of bring something to it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was always thinking of, um, and we can do a separate episode about this, but uh, Alien 3 is a very sort of, some of the shots in that... If you see, like, and I'm not talking about the horror stuff, like which you touched on, but it feels like we've talked about this before. It feels like a religious epic, and to me, it sometimes feels almost like
0: because, by the like, 1. like, there's
1: a cross in no, well, yes, Alien One would look spectacular in black and white, right? Of course, um, and sh- it's straight up horror, so it would it would look great. Mm. But I think Alien Three, for some reason, feels more like. Um, it's got these sort of really like unusual sort of avant-garde like shots. You're always looking up. Um, it, it, always these stark sort of bulldog faces of the British actors, you know, mm. uh, all craggy and textured. Uh, and then you have the idea that it's maybe like a religious epic in in similar terms to something like like um, Andrei Rublev by Tarkovsky. So you've got this like three and a half hour long epic and and this story that weaves throughout it. And I just sort of I love some of the imagery. Uh, I'm talking about the assembly cut, which is the best possible version of it. Um, but, you know, in the assembly cut, you've got things like, um, yeah, it's just a wonderful, it's like a cross poking out of the ground. The guy's running in the old cloak. He looks like a monk, you know, hmm. like he was running across the beach. It's so stark and barren. It feels like a um, like a sort of Russian period film, basically. Yeah. And I, I would I'd love to see it in, in black and white. Absolutely. Um and to a lesser extent, then I'm going to go completely different direction. Okay. And I'm going to say Blade Two. So I'm not talking about Blade One because Blade One's quite got quite a sort of modern Detroity sort of vibe. Yeah. Um, but Blade Two, um, Del Toro, who did Chronos in Black and White, as far as I'm aware, his first feature, mm. Del Toro sort of goes back and mines the sort of aesthetics of of the very um, Eastern European. Sort of vampire you know sort of aesthetic, so I think a lot of the stuff he does in that movie suits black and white um and then you use UV light and things and in the you know they have the 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 cap for the UV guns there's yeah I mean I know it's ludicrous and the CGI is ludicrous but there's lots of contrast in it i it's part of me that thinks blade two and black and white would be I
0: need to go back and watch blade two I was so frightened of it when I was a kid. <laughs>
1: It's a fright. Well, Del Toro does it, man. He 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 adds, like he always does, more charm and more horror. Mm. So he's got like this lovely fairy tale balance of both, like an old sort of storybook. Um, I could just, I mean, like I'm just going to rattle through a couple of others um, before we move on. Um, uh, 28 days later. You know, obvious an obvious yeah, one, but that would be, be pretty cracking in black and white. London in black and white, like that.
0: Mm. Um. And the countryside, which we're so used to seeing in green,
1: yeah, yeah, and that sort of brings back that escape, sort of horror escape, mm. invasion of the body snatchers type thing. Um, I want to say Munich, which I watched recently, to it, sort of to honour that it was the end um. of the Paralympics to so watch Munich uh, again, um, and with with the troubles in Israel Palestine being, of course, they're going, they're still going, ongoing, yeah. but being reported recently in the news here, um, I found that quite that was quite a stirring, powerful film. And it's a, it's a very, it's a, it's a spy film, but it's also, I think, you know, listen, the themes there of black and white, the themes yeah. of like one versus, you know, uh, one versus zero or A versus B, this sort of idea of, yeah, you know, it's, its I think you could do something amazing with that in black and white, but of course Spielberg probably doesn't want to tread old ground after Schindler's List um, yeah. in black and white. Um, I think... I don't, you, mate, if you've got any more, you're going to have to cut me off. But I've, I've got, I think um, Collateral would be amazing in black and white. I know it's what's digital. The, what's
0: the war film that with um, the sort of the, the CIA war film with Mark Strong in it? Uh,
1: yeah. Are you thinking Bridge of Spies or are you, that's a Spielberg, or are you thinking Tinker Taylor Sold a Spy? I mean, that would be no, great. Th-
0: no, i I think he he like plays. Uh, yeah, I like, think
1: it's Tinker Taylor you're thinking
0: of. No, it's modern. Um, and he plays. He plays like an an Israeli. And in, oh, plays like
1: a, yeah, Body of Lies by
0: um, Body of Lies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That would be quite Ridley interesting. Yeah, that'd be yeah. pretty
1: good. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. And it, you know, I I think anything with that sort of strong retro aesthetic as well, uh, works. So. Um, Gattaca would be good in black and white. I almost feel like yeah. cheap. That's a cheap one though, because of course it would no, yeah, I think sort of, I think you
0: know, we, we could one. go. So I think we could go off for ages, right? So what it what is if if you had to had to take one, um, mm. what film would it be? Your your the favourite one that you wanted to see, because because uh, there are so many. You know, we could even say um Ex Machina would be really good in. Um, yeah you're right you're right white. no well,
1: so... I, listen i'm okay with doing this for the next couple of hours think, as long as everybody <laughs> at home is um i i originally thought i'll give you the th- I'll, okay i'll just give you the three I, I went past okay um pirates of the caribbean dead man's chest i thought that would be a great black and white film um krakens um you know sort of old yeah, school harry yeah, type effects and classic epic dialogue you have and to say it like,
0: like harry <laughs> Monsters, let's see Monsters Inc. From Monsters Inc.,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> deep cut, deep cut. Um I sort of liked, yeah, I I did mention it a second ago, but Collateral has this sort of Knight of the Hunter vibe. So I love Knight of the Hunters, black and white film. Um, Robert Mitchum, superb. It's a really odd film. And there's something, I don't know, in a in a parallel universe, those films match. Night of the Hunter and Collateral are very similar. Um, and collateral is digital, but I think. I don't know man it feels and of course it relies on its colors but for some reason it says black and white there's the starkness yeah. of the two guys in the cab um and i'm and i moved past che i really like the idea of that che the soderberg sort of double feature and the jungles can you know you can have so much sort of light and shadow and then this sort of idea of revolution and i thought it was very mm. sort of thematically relevant right Apart those and then I couldn't decide between two. So, because <laughs> I just, and I think one's maybe, uh, listen, I, I'm just, I'll just lay them on you. Um, Blade Runner and The Matrix. So Blade Runner I love because the cassette punk vibe. Yeah, Obviously it's a film noir, right? There's
0: there's a lot of black and white, sort of uh, pseudo black and white in it. You know, when you think that, like when he's doing the Voigt Kampf, isn't it Voigt Kampf mm-hmm. test with the woman, with the female at the beginning, it's like that is that feels quite black and white. When he goes to his apartment, it's always really dark. So, yeah. yeah, I'd say that there's a there is a stark contrast there between it wanting to be black and white and then also just having the laser laser cassettes of the. I think
1: it's almost a che- it's a cheap one. It's almost a cheap shot because I think that like if it was made now blade runner of course it couldn't be but if it was it probably would be made in black and white so i feel like it's it's already you know music and character wise outfits it's desperately trying to be an old school film noir which which is why i absolutely adore it yeah um and it's just as ugly and messy and stupid as a lot of film noirs are as well half baked and sort of mostly character based rather than Mm. making any sort of real sense which is why i love it again uh So the cassette punk stuff, I love all the sort of, you know, I think that lends itself well to it in the way that The Matrix doesn't. But The Matrix has such great cinematography in terms of, like, contrasting shadows, um, the angles that the Wachowskis use.
0: Um, I can 100% see The Matrix in that. Because yeah. the thing is that, you you know, it, traditionally uses a lot of black and green, as we sort of mm-hmm. know. Um, and now are we saying just The Matrix or are we saying the entire series? All right.
1: I didn't think of that. And I'm very excited to think of that. But let's let's get to that in a second. Okay. Um, if we think about just the first Matrix, first of all, it's there's a lot of horror elements in it, right? Not only is it played for horror, like the, like the fields, when you see the fields for the first time. Yeah.
0: And the thing that goes in is tum-tum things that goes in this Um,
1: Mm. tum-tum. Even just, and the music, is like Mm. horror music, you know? Lots of strings. Uh, Don Davis is like, yeah, lots of like sort of horror strings. Think about like the Sentinels, man, what they look like. They have appendages that are almost like they would be animated, you know, like like, um, we were talking about uh, the mist. So they're almost like tentacles that you see out of a Harryhausen thing. Um, And they look quite, sort of stark like a fifties b movie so villains.
0: I I haven't I haven't watched the first Matrix film in a while but when you see the 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 squiddies squiddly diddlies mm. are they do they look badly CGI now?
1: No no they, they so, really that, no they still hold it, up. so it's
0: it's yeah. not like uh oh uh, what was the film Equilibrium which has got some terrible CGI in it mate terrible CGI equilibrium I oh know god but um
1: I, there's no one on this earth that can't both love and hate equilibrium at the yeah, same time it's yeah just, also not, why, another, listen, another one that would be good in black and white actually th- but, listen you've nailed it man that's a fantastic choice i i was just going to point out very quickly that equilibrium is almost like a review for itself isn't
0: it it's yeah. a self-fulfilling prophecy that it just sits in that um you know but so i yes, think that black that, and white that would be amazing yeah. but i think that that is i can't remember what the point was making with that um something about the CGI not holding up. Yes. So I think that the 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 squiddly diddlies in in black and white would probably take the edge off of that CGI if it was bad. Yeah, um, it, it would. I mean, know, I'm sure
1: there's some comping stuff like in the first Matrix where they comp the two things together that's probably aged a little bit because that's just how it works. Um, but it would definitely bring up the horror of those things.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and there's, lo- there's loads of other moments in that film that are, that are really genuinely sort of frightening, even when he...
0: Uh, Wakes up for Mm. the first
1: time and he pulls the thing out of his tube and his mouth, and everything's all body. And you know what?
0: You know what? There would be one homage to uh, Schindler's List, and it would be the girl in the red dress. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That'd maybe be black it. and That'd white be with only...
1: like some very scant bits of colour. It would yeah, be like that one. Sincere. It'd be
0: like the girl in the black girl in the red and when he's like turn around and look at the girl in the red dress again. <laughs> like that, that thing. That would be like yeah, one yeah. little homage yeah. um to like Shinder's list, wouldn't it, if they didn't black and white.
1: So there's so the Wachowskis. So yeah, so like what you're saying earlier on is they shoot loads of stark close-ups and there's lots of looking to the camera, like in a fourth wall way, which is very film noirish. Mm. And the whites of like if you think about the first time you see Trinity, you see the whites of her eyes when she looks at the camera. She's on the phone talking about trying to avoid an agent, right? Yeah. Um, and other sorts of things like that. You you sort of really um, see it's all about vision. So like not only are they looking at you and you're looking at them and they're looking through screens and stuff, but there's also the contrast of the sunglasses. You take sunglasses Mm. off um, when you're out of the Matrix, You put it on when you're in the Matrix. It's all about vision. So I think black and white has a real thematic resonance there as well. Yeah. Um, And the whole retro 90s look of the Matrix, I think it could look good in black and white. It might age it. It might age it in an acceptable way so it doesn't feel too sort of 90s with the old phones and everything and
0: Mm, and i think having like you know even the i think it wouldn't you wouldn't feel too disenfranchised from it as well because you are used to seeing it in blacks and greens so you'd only be changing that one color but by changing that one color and taking all the saturation out of it it will completely change the way that um that you would view the film i think Mm. I think it could be much more different. Um, yeah. but
1: So then, just before we go on to yours, um, the Reloaded and Revolutions, I don't know. Re- do you know what? Just quickly, I want to hear your thoughts on it. Reloaded definitely has more fantasy monsters in it, right? It's got vampires yeah. in it, it's got ghosts in it. Um, you can, it's definitely got, S- some aspects that might feel a little bit more comfortable in Black i don't and
0: think it would work i don't yeah, think it would work because like the car chases would, yeah, would feel weird it's all very yeah. modern
1: reloaded i mm. suppose in an intentional way um and all the fights feel very modern in a very intentional way
0: yeah yeah i think it wouldn't work i think yeah. it would be like a one-off special wouldn't it like just just the matrix but then now um, you think
1: about it, revolutions, the bit in limbo, the bit where they're fighting the machines, like an old school war. It's very sort of sort of earthen and sort of and metals and something about revolutions, maybe. The rain at, at night and, you know, then when they fight, it sort of feels very much Mifumi's like... Mifumi's sort of, last stand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the burly brawl and everything. And like, it's very... I'd be curious to see it in black and white anyway, revolutions, I think. Hmm. Feel, feels very different from the other
0: two so it's funny you mentioned the wachowskis because my choice mm-hmm. uh, and this is clearly the influence that that they've had over us in, in cinema my choice for a film i'd love to see black and white is speed racer now like wow, okay un- unbeknownst to um well that's a
1: very curious decision
0: yeah see the mean? thing is you know to a lot of the slash jeep regulars who know that like you know speed racer is in in my top top three films of all time um but I think, and it's in—it's a film that relies a hell of a lot on its color and its mm-hmm. coloring. Um, but you know, if you if you were to take the the Royalton scene, the real race car driver, that that whole scene, and think about it being in a black and white film, you know, as you said, they use a lot of polarizing f- uh, front on like camera close-up camera mm-hmm. angles which they would do which they would have done back in the past in old black and white films to sort of save to change the depth of field to, to save on you know quite often you see a lot of like face-ups with blurred backgrounds and i think you know to sort of get those messages across and you know you see what he's in when he's, he's in the cockpit of the car and it's very like close to him and you know to watch all of those like weird sort of uh colorings like when they do the race in like the in the desert and stuff like that so i think i think it, would all, it it would all work, but also that film uses colors to differentiate like good and evil. Um, You know, the sort of the who's good, who's good, who's bad, who's like their enemy to them, who's friendly to them. So it's interesting. I think that that's one of the ones, but I just, would love to see like a version of it like that. And I think it would be quite difficult to, it would, it would, it would then take you back to that sort of looking at, Looking at what's going on in the action rather than just all the pretty colors, because I think mm. we watched. I remember you sent me a link to a video about why and how they use their depth of color and mm-hmm. why it's really important piece of cinematography. Why Speed Racer is an important piece of cinematography um, in 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 cinema, and I thought that was quite an interesting one to use for that.
1: Well, it's it's really uh, it's really bold. It's really it's a really interesting choice. And it's it's not it's almost the reverse of what you would you might think. And I I really that's why I really like it. But because if you think about it, there's a lot of stuff that feels feels very modern, obviously. The car racing feels very yeah. cartoonish and modern. Um but you have the echoes in the film of it based on old sort of motor Formula racing, one yeah. or old motor racing, where yeah, you would have seen it in the black and white. Um on, on on screen so you'd have that sort of connection to the old races um, also they are such great sort of visual uh creators that that whilst they used color in a really interesting way they also used the frames in a really interesting way mm. and, and they did so they used a, a technique at the time which was really new but now it's it's used everywhere but that's you know but they used a first of all technique to capture an entire set so that they could like so they could create recreate it virtually, which they also didn't reload in revolutions, mm. um, which was sort of almost laughed at at the time, and now it's used on everything with CGL. Yeah. Um, and they also had they wanted to use cameras where they could have foreground and background in focus, mm. and then yeah, so that would allow them to then, do whatever they wanted with the focus, which again is something like for example now the iPhone does that automatically when you take a yeah. portrait picture. Um so so yeah there's sort of isolation of foreground and background which is what a lot of old films did uh black and white films you're right this is something that they do really heavily in speed racer so yeah i could see it being a really curious film and it would be one that i would go i wouldn't go oh yeah yeah i know what to expect you'd go into it thinking i wonder if i love and i love speed Racer as well i wonder what new experience i'll get from it this time and what will also like they they it's a very broad very sort of it's a very simple script yeah very simple story it's very broad Uh, and i mean that in a good way obviously that's an intention Mm.
0: um and you think of the the aesthetics of his home life are like that sort of 1950s sort of weird jetsons like like bubble homes aren't they that's what they sort of look like and then they go to the city and it's really plush and everything like that and then there's the fight with the ninjas you know so more like nonjas right (laughs) which i think is the actual classic john Goodman. yeah classic john um
1: yeah so that's that's a great shout man like a really Mm -hmm. really interesting choice and something i would absolutely in a heartbeat want to go out and see if they did it properly and really yeah thought about it made it rather than just turning the contrast down (laughs) So what would Slash Duke be without our unique take, our special twist on a title? For the third and final segment of our Black and White episode, we will be pitching an original take on a title. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it will be uh, an old Black and White film title that has been given our own Slash Duke twist. So taking a Black and White film we love. I love loads of Black and White films, but I'm going to take one that I really love, um, and I'm just going to take the title as if there's been no previous film made with this title and I'm going to roll with it and create my own. Or I'm, I'm going to do what we affectionately in Slash duke call a Dan, which is where I give you a, a, a one-liner and we all come up with it together. Yeah. Uh, but before that, I would like,
0: I would like you to, to do this okay. first, Brian. All right, fine. So I'm going to pick um, a f- famous black and white film title that had uh, one of the only instances of this famous writer's acting chops uh, and that is going to be The Third Man Mm -hmm. which had Orson Welles in it Mm -hmm. Uh, or was when we were younger we called Orson Welles It was Orson
1: Welles Orson Welles wasn't it
0: Um, So Um, this would be about the actual fake killer of JFK because we always talk about, ah, okay. um, yeah. Lee Harvey Oswald, Then they always talk about the shooter on the, the on grassy knoll. The then this is the
1: so this is the fabled third shooter, essentially. Yeah, um, that that it that was reported, to, or always sort of a conspiracy theory that there was one. Yeah,
0: too. yeah. Well, this would be this would be the additional conspiracy if the if the so grassy knoll. Gras- so current. this wouldn't
1: be. It's obviously not Lee Harvey Oswald. Obviously not grassy knoll guy. There's a third, yeah. There's a third man essentially. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, how much of the film takes place before the shooting? How much takes place afterwards? And sort of, how broad are we going, or are we going quite narrow on this guy? Or
0: I think it would be interesting. So after seeing some of the sort of claustrophobia of um, Manhunter, the mm-hmm. the I can't think of it. Is it
1: the David Fincher produced directed, sort of partially directed?
0: Yeah, so I I kind of feel like it would be something like that. Um, and they would definitely be, it would definitely be something like that sort of early, sort of forensic um dictation. You know, it'd be interesting, it'd be interesting someone building like, you know, you see dioramas of of like of of um of like little cities and stuff like that so it would be like early 3d recreation technology like someone had they get a diorama of the city and like put the people on and he's like it doesn't make any sense and they're like why and they're like look we know he was like shot here but and then it would you know he'd have to he'd talk about it that way and it would be who the third man is and then it depends really it depends on how you want to do it is it like um, because recently with the second season of the Umbrella Chronicles, they went back to that time and one of the characters is like, oh, I'm going to be a hero. I'm going to stop the assassination. And then there's a whole plot around that, which is really interesting. So, you know, I sort of don't want to do that. I want it to be like trying to figure out and then it's it will sort of feel governmental conspiracy-ish. It will feel mafia conspiracy-ish, you know, like he's going up and like, Go, he's you know going to like the dive bars and he's like trying to you know find out what that is and i think it'd be quite interesting i think so it would already, work for some kind of agency
1: so we already have the um the, that partial forensic forensic approach in the sort of oliver stone courtroom drama esque jfk film so is this gonna be more of an intimate look at this guy the third man is it gonna is it gonna look at his motivations his part to play
0: or is it gonna Actually, do you know what? I think I've I think I've I've just scrapped it. Right, I've pitched it to the studio and they hate it.
1: They go, oh, we've already got a JFK movie in the works. Mm-hmm. Peter Jackson's already on it."
0: No, 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 it's it still it going to and... be a JFK one, but it would be from the perspective of the third man who is the who is the actual killer. And it's it would okay. be oh, that feels it,
1: better to me. I it think. would
0: be this Honestly, person setting up Lee Harvey Oswald, planting the catcher in the Ryan's house. And, you know, like...
1: Uh, I'm not sure. Listen, I think that's John Lennon's
0: killer. But right? I thought they both had it. I think they oh, listen, both had you it. You might be right. right. You yeah. Um, yeah. And then doing the setting up the thing on the grassy knoll. So he's
1: grooming. He's gro- yeah. Oh, do you know what? It might not even be... So it might not even be that he actually pulled the trigger. And get and this.
0: Not- it's not the third... The third man is actually a woman. A woman.
1: <laughs> slash um, twist. slash twist. <laughs> <Chiam-a-lan>, away! <laughs> yeah, I... um. Listen, I like that. So when you so when you take the element away of like there being evidence, perhaps against there being a third man. Yeah, but but this is a person that's grooming, planting the story about the grassy knoll, and grooming uh, Harvey Oswald. Harvey Oswald yeah. That's fascinating, and maybe you give credence as an alternative history version to mm. some of Lee Harvey Oswald's behaviours and so on after you know. He was apprehended. And
0: it's almost that that idea of like, can you, how would you be able to, you know, there's a lot of interesting, there's that story of that um, Darren Brown tells about Hannibal Lecter telling the guy to eat his own tongue or whatever, you know, like, because he said all those horrible things to him. But like, you know, it's sort of, could you, could you drive a person to want to do that? Sort of like an early mentalist almost, like um, being able to control... Every like not just not just one person, but one but a entire. It's like um like the Mandela effect, right? Um, making everyone believe like all the reverse <laughs> of the Mandela effect, isn't it? It's making everyone believe one massive thing.
1: Yeah, I oh, listen. I like I like it. I like it. Um, maybe we want to just before we move on, an actor on the on the third man themselves. Are you, oh, are, you wait, are we are saying it's going to be a woman?
0: Uh, no no, no probably not I think I was kidding about that. Um I cannot remember Jessica his Chastain name. if it is going to be a woman. That's probably yeah true. It but, would probably be uh the guy I can't remember his name now he plays the green goblin in the in the new
1: Oh yeah, good shout. Yeah, Dane
0: he's just Dane DeHaan. Yeah yeah yeah,
1: Dane yeah, DeHaan. He's just still oh, Dane DeHaan. Yeah, he's just he's just sort of magnetic and creepy enough to to make it work
0: isn't yeah. It? yeah yeah
1: yeah he's sort of like a much much creepier version of um of that kid who played quicksilver in the x-men universe and also is in american horror story he's like that's a handsome version of what we what we do we don't want that guy he's too handsome we want dane dan <laughs> sorry dane dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we want you we want somebody who looks kind of like a goblin
0: um yeah a green one yeah uh, some chance <laughs> um all right well, you don't you don't mean aaron whatever his name is do you no i mean the other guy uh evan, evan or, peters evan
1: peters there's yeah. there's two sides of a coin if this was being made by hollywood it would be evan peters but if it's being made by you know the slash dupers um Maybe right okay so that's was, that's was, that was great um, and normally we, we spend plenty of time doing these pictures, but I quite like our quick fire ones today, so we can in and out before they turn out terrible, <laughs> um, but also, you know, conversely, before they also turn out good. Um, so I've gone with one of my favourite black and white films. I would argue it was the black and white film I loved, the classic black and white film that I loved first. Mm-hmm. I, I think The Big Sleep... Was really this is not what I'm doing. Big Sleep was really critical in getting me to enjoy. Are you
0: shawning yourself? But I'm actually going to pick this one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, I am. (laughs) Um, The Big Sleep is a film that sort of said, like, I don't know. It got me into hard boiled, the hard boiled sort of world. Um, And then I went back, Maltese Falcon, went back to Casablanca
0: after I did it. Chinatown, yeah.
1: yeah, Chinatown's not black and white, but yeah, definitely. Like, then I understood Chinatown, and you understand all these things, so. I loved them all, but Double Indemnity was the one that went, right, everything be damned except for dialogue. And it just went, I'm just going to. Yeah, there's so many quotes in that movie, and it just, it, the plot is ludicrous and it's cool, but you're not there for that. You're there for the one liners. Insurance,
0: and... right? Like... Yeah,
1: I sort of like that as well, The where they they used to make jobs like being an insurance investigator somehow sexy. You know, somehow these people were like like madmen type people, or they were like, you know, um, detectives from another, you know, in another way, another description. Hmm. So, yeah, I love Double Indemnity. Uh, It's sort of almost like a cartoon, basically. It feels like a cartoon. It's so broad and sort of um, accentuated. But I'm going to take Double Indemnity, um, and I'm just going to say this. It's a late 90s, early 2000s rom-com set at a law firm. That's it. I, d- I don't. You know, doesn't even need to be about double indemnity. That's the whole point about if this movie was a trash rom com. So I'm thinking.
0: I'm googling what f- indemnity is because I don't f- actually know what On the front it is. cover,
1: there's the guy and the girl. They're back to back, obviously, aren't they? She's in a slinky dress. He's in a p- suit. And they, you know, maybe nah. There, well, there would not be a heart around them. That's two nineties, but. Um. You know they're
0: in a a law firm.
1: That's literally it, and they fall in love at a law firm. But neither of them
0: will. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, throw one thing out there. Not on, not on a law firm, in a like a, sort of like a financial services right one. Oh no, hold on a minute. I've got it. I've got it. So indemnity, according to Google, a sum of money paid as compensation, especially for one paid. By a country defeated in a war as a condition of peace. So he's in Company A, and she's in Company B, and she's like the she's coming to do the merger. She's coming to. What what was the phrase you used the other day? Listen, nothing's transformation. She's the transformation thingy, and and he's like,
1: (laughs) yeah, no one's going to get fired. Don't worry. We're just going to look at everybody in the team and see how much work they do and see where we can cut things. Yeah, yeah. All right, so it's it's some kind of firm anyway, some kind of vague firm, and she's coming in to cut the uh, cut some members of staff, some team members, right? Mm.
0: And because actually, the real real concession is their hearts. That's the double part, something (laughs) like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: The only thing she couldn't cut was his heart, or something like that. That sounds weird. Yeah, does you know how in
0: in you know how in. Uh, stranger than fiction like he's, the, he's an auditor isn't he and then he like but then he ends up falling in love with old uh, what's the chops Maggie Gyllenhaal doesn't he like that Yeah, um, that's, I, no, that's a nice touchstone, it needs nice to touchstone be terrible, but it would be and it needs yeah. to
1: be like really sort of I think like the idea of like maybe he's the hot shot Don Draper of the movie <laughs> She, what's it? she uh, has to cut somebody and it has to be him and she has like six weeks to cut him. What's the, Even though what are, everybody in the office loves him. She doesn't know why everybody loves him. Why does everybody love you in the office? You're a end.
0: Yeah, you're end. You, you don't get any work. You don't hit your targets. Like... And then she finds out
1: why he's the heart and soul of the office. And, you know, and does something else. And I'll cut myself. And I'll save my other company so much money that they won't have to fire somebody from this company. You know what I mean? Shit like ridiculous. that. It's got to be terrible. I can't. I want the actors to be more terrible than you think of immediately. So I don't want it to be Jennifer Garner, Jennifer uh, wh- Aniston, Matthew McConaughey. I don't want it to be them. I want it to be someone people want. Matthew
0: Lillard. Ma-
1: Matthew Lillard. Listen, no, Breck Meyer, Brecken Meyer. Right? Meyer. Who's the other <laughs> guy? Meyer. Dane Dane Cook you can have Dane as well. Dane Cook. Jesus. Yeah. Dane Cook is the office bell end, obviously. Of course. That works yeah, yeah. with his spiky hair and like um, yeah, Matthew he's Lillard head is of on the front desk. He's like the son of the old Um, The son of the old security guard That used to work He's passed away but he's his son And he was trained up on how to be a security guard But he's he's fairly new on the job Um, Everyone calls him Junior Uh, That's his name Uh, Yeah I don't know Breckenmire Okay I want Maybe someone one notch up from Breckenmire But still a whole load of notches down from everyone else
0: Um, We're just slacking off actors now Aren't we (laughs) But that's what oh, they used man. to do back in the day.
1: <laughs> I don't know. We'll figure out something.
0: Um, Are we saying this is this is shot now or shot in the nineties? No,
1: it's definitely like early two thousands, like late nineties, early two thousands, mid two thousands. What's, one of the, those guy, of what's not, the guy? What's the guy from? I haven't quite got to Devil West Prado where it starts to get fun. It's still bad.
0: Uh, I just his name's just gone up from American Pie. Not the mate, um, not Jason Biggs. Jason Biggs, <laughs> yeah, it's Jason yeah. Biggs. All
1: right, yeah, of course it's Jason Biggs. <laughs> but we need to find someone, his co, his female lead, that's that's comparable. Um, Brittany oh, Murphy. Brittany Murphy, yeah, 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 yeah. Not to de- you know sort of desecrate the you know uh, the, the, somebody's memory, mm. um, because she did some fantastic work in like Eight Mile yeah. and stuff like that, but. They might have thought, "Oh, let's sort of cast her as this type
0: of role," and it just because they because they like her, couldn't but... get Reese Witherspoon. Yeah,
1: yeah. well, who's <laughs> the well, who's the one from um... from
0: Clueless? No, I'm thinking of um, or who's... or Mandy Moore as well. Couldn't get Mandy, Mandy Moore. <laughs> Mandy Moore's
1: good, or the. Uh oh man she's quite high profile but but still would do trash like this um she was from almost famous oh
0: sorry britney murphy was in clueless (laughs) so (laughs) yeah yeah britney
1: murphy's a good shout actually like because it's just two people who may have been on their career up but just did a film that was a stinker so yeah definitely and that's double indemnity and they you know, they're, they're, I can see them both back to back on the poster, and like, mm. you know,
0: arms folded and all. And and he's got like a like he's got a cup that says like "World's Best Boss," and she's got a cup that's like "World's Worst Boss." Yeah, yeah, like... exactly.
1: Yeah, something like that. We still need a good tagline for it, but I'm sure someone will, will put in the, <laughs> something in the comments. Um, yeah, I, I, that'll be our uh, my tweet that follows on from what I thought of Justice League: Justice is Grey. Um, What's what so yeah, what your
0: double indemnity gonna be?
1: Yeah. What's the tagline gonna be? Um, all right. Well that's that's my that's my double indemnity. And it's you're good. the third man. I'm 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 chuffed with both of those. Short and sweet, um,
0: which is more than I can say for the rest of this episode. But yeah uh, that's very true. And we made none it. of it. So if you made it this far, <laughs> you know, thank you. You've yeah. just like the way that black and white films aren't, um, this is not short you know, because only had limited space and budget for, for hey man, cameras. Older films were long though. Like Are if they? you look at things I like assume they were just longer. And,
1: and, and sound and music and stuff, they're like three hours long. Yeah. Um, we've got a whole other episode for intermissions and so on. Right. So they were, they were, they were crackers, but let's just say this is more like a sort of whatever, um, 10 commandments or something, you know, it's one of those, <laughs> it's not black and white, but it's, it's still an a Cecil B. DeMille epic.
0: Um, but like, you know, we're interested because we'd love to expand our horizon on some black and white films, modern ones that we haven't seen um, and hadn't mentioned and other ones that you may have watched with a, a, with, with a grandparent or with a parent, um, you know, a film that you would have loved that you saw in black and white and has always sort of stayed with you. Yeah. It doesn't have, you know, it can be like, a, there's a lot of fantastic like black and white French cinema as well um, and Italian cinema. So if there is something that we've missed, let us know slash dupe yeah. or everything. You can just Google it slash dupe because we're that good. We've beaten Google, right? We've beaten everybody else in the world except I was, I was finding
1: the exact quote that George Miller said, and I had to put slash dupe George Miller in. Yeah, right. Which we didn't have to do when we when we before we started. And, the, and
0: this you know, like I went on like Duck Duck Go, and I went on you know um, what, what the other one is, we've and I and I searched slash dupe, and it was just us. So, you know, we're doing really well. So please, as Sean said at the beginning, smash all the buttons, like, share, subscribe. If you're watching this all the way to the end, we love you. We really do. You've made yeah. it through our own black and white film. Tell us what your favourite is, because that's going to spark conversation and that's what we really want.
1: Yeah, if you're here at the end, then you're, you're the real one. like us. You're the real one. You're the real one. You're one of us. Um, and, you know, you're happy to have our nonsense in the background or you're engaged. <laughs> um, either way... Uh, we really appreciate it. It means the world to us, um, and it keeps us. Every time you share, even once, every time you subscribe, or tell someone about us, or 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 click, you know, the little like, or or anything like that.
0: One of my uh, tears goes back into my eyes. <laughs> so that's what that's what it happens.
1: And, <laughs> and yeah, and it it keeps us being able to do this, uh, yeah. which we love doing. Um, and we love doing it for people like you. So thank you very much, Ryan, for for being here. Um, And uh, thank you to everybody uh, listening or watching, and we'll see you for the next one.
0: Bye-bye.